0: We're excited to share that the following offer has been extended through the end of the week. We hope you become a member today.
1: Tuesday, February 28th marks one year since we launched the DSR Daily Brief. We're showing our thanks by providing you with our best sale price ever on membership. From now through March 4th, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a one-time only offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code daily brief to receive 50% off. Thank you for your support. Nine, twelve,
2: ten, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from Washington, D.C. I am delighted to be joined today by two of our friends and smartest guests. One is Dahlia Lithwick. Dahlia writes about the courts and the law for Slate, and hosts the podcast, Amicus. How are you, Dahlia?
3: I'm okay.
2: Well, you're going to have to explain <laughs> that. Okay. Um, and uh, we are also joined by Dr. Allison Gill. Allison is the host of the Daily Beans and Jack podcast, because she knows how to keep up with her prosecutors. How are you doing today, Allison?
0: I'm doing well, and I'm honored to be here with you. And of course, Dahlia, uh, her amazing new book is so important. And, uh, you know, I first met you at the Bell House in Brooklyn with Jennifer Todd. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. All of you guys
2: are people that uh, ought to be uh, followed closely here. Let me start uh, with you, Dahlia. You know, I thought we'd talk about the Trump stuff today. Frankly, I kind of thought he would be indicted by today. But then again, the first time I spoke to either one of you two guys, like a couple of years ago, I thought he'd be indicted by then. Talk about moving the goalposts. Do you have any insight into what should be made of the fact that he isn't?
3: Well, I I think that I want to say probably some version of what we've all been saying since the long ago days of the Mueller report, which is It depends who sets the narrative. And you know what Donald Trump is really good at? He tells us what the goalposts are. And he announced without any basis, in fact, that there was going to be an arrest on Tuesday. And then he summoned the mob to come defend him. And then we all kind of capitulated to this game of like watching the clock and watching them put barriers up in Manhattan. And so I, I think my sort of framing answer is something is happening. And it's not just happening in Manhattan. Something is happening in Georgia. Something is very assuredly happening in D.C. with Jack Smith. And thank God Allison is here to tell us about all that. But what I am here to say is this is not the freaking Olympics. Like we have to stop watching this as though it is some sport in which we have big arguments about winners and losers and the brag case sucks and this case is better. And this one will win, and this like we we have to stop doing this as though we're sports writers, and just say, dude, this is how democracy works. And the biggest trap we keep falling into is letting the guy who's being indicted frame the narrative for all of us. So that's kind of I I, I do think the walls are closing in, and I hate saying that sentence because it's never true. Something is happening, but I also think maybe we shouldn't rely on the guy who's freaking out on Tooth Social for all the information about what is happening and when.
2: That's true. Because when you say he summoned the mob, it was one toothless dude in a pickup truck. Because nobody showed up.
3: It's not a mob.
2: It's not a mob. Allison, I have a big question for you. How come you don't have a podcast called Alvin or one called Fani? I mean, (laughs) what's wrong with you? Do you not like these prosecutors?
0: We cover Alvin and Fanny on Clean Up on Isle 45, and and if I had more than these three podcasts, I, I would have to clone myself. So.
2: <laughs> okay, okay. What do you what do you think of what Dahlia just said?
0: Well, I, you know, I to what you said about the one toothless dude, you know, just like half a dozen MAGA weirdos with flags showing up. I think that shows the power of deterrence. That the you know from the DOJ going after the boots on the ground rioters on January sixth and the insurrectionists there nobody wants to show up and go to jail for Donald and I think that that speaks to the importance of holding him accountable as well and so I think that's you know why we're all here and what we're about to dive in and talk about and I agree we 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 shouldn't I mean to be fair I had my money on Fani but we shouldn't be treating it like we're sports writers. You're right, I agree. Although we are watching all of these cases very closely.
2: Have you actually bet on this?
0: I no, mean, I have, have a fantasy indictment league, but there's we don't <laughs> there's no gambling per se. If you win, you just get bragging rights and maybe a partially used glade air freshener. There's really no money involved.
3: <laughs> all
2: right. So this morning, Dahlia, despite the fact that, you know, his Attorneys are in the news for a variety of reasons we'll talk about. Donald Trump once again seemed to demonstrate that he doesn't really have any attorneys because he let loose on truth social, you know, calling Alvin Bragg a Soros-backed animal. And then with a tweet or a truth, no, it's not a truth, a social, whatever it is, that said that all these prosecutors ought to be fired. And he attacked all of them as if, you know, just to compound the idiocy of attacking one of your prosecutors, he, he, he thought he would go after all of them. That can't be a good thing in a legal case. You watch a lot of legal cases. Is it really good thing to attack your prosecutors publicly like that?
3: I mean, look, this is the playbook, right? This is, again, at every turn, he goes after whatever, again, this goes back to Jim Comey and Bob Mueller, right? He always goes after whoever it is that is investigating him. And I think maybe Allison's point is really material here. You know, I'm thinking of like that blazing saddle scene at the end, you know, where like there's just like a fake town And everyone's kind of careening through it. And then you pan back and you realize like, oh, this is all a fake town. So there's this weird moment happening where it's not clear why it is that Jim Jordan and Mike Pence and all of the Republicans who climbed on the bandwagon to attack the prosecutor this weekend made that choice. Right. You would think this is their dream scenario. Right. It's Donald Trump alone riding through a fake town and the mob is one toothless guy in a truck. Cut him loose, right? That would seem to be the way that this would play out. And I think what's interesting is, if it were just Donald Trump attacking Alvin Bragg, we could be having a conversation about his dwindling salience and relevance. But it's so weird that all these people who presumably want to be the next president are willing to go there too. In other words, what scares me isn't I, – I completely agree with both of you. I don't think he has the capacity to sort of unleash stochastic terror on the scale of January 6th for the, exactly the reasons Allison said. Because there's been a cost, and people are – they're enthusiasts, but they're not stupid. But well, wait a minute here.
2: <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> Maybe they're stupid. Yeah, let's, but let's, I, I I'll, I'll, give you,
2: I'll give you enthusiasts.
3: I guess I just want to raise this question of not just Donald Trump playing by the playbook, which he will always play by right to the bitter end. He will go after whoever's investigating him. But why people who have no idea what is in that indictment, who have no idea what is about to happen and what evidence is about to unfold, will also attack the Manhattan DA's office, will also raise questions about the police in New York will also. So that to me is the mystery here. Dude, it's a fake town. There's like, it's just not true. There's nothing there. And yet for Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis and all these people to pretend that this is really a witch hunt in a Soros funded Black Lives Matter, you know, illegal witch hunt. That's the mystery to me.
0: Well, and aside from that, had Nixon been held criminally accountable for what he did? Had Reagan been held accountable for keeping the hostages in Iran to win the election? Had Trump been held accountable for going after and attacking Mueller and Comey and everybody in that investigation, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here, which is why now it's so important, I think, to the future of democracy that he be held accountable for his attack on the Capitol and democracy going forward. We have to break this cycle. Of letting them get away with it. Otherwise, why wouldn't DeSantis and Pence and everybody pile on to attack the prosecutors if no one's going to be held accountable for doing so in the past?
2: Absolutely right. I would encourage you to give yourself a used Glade air freshener. And also, I would give one to Dahlia for the Blazing Saddles reference, because I think you you should always get one for Blazing Saddles reference. But, you know, you referred earlier, Dahlia, to the walls closing in. And and it certainly seems like the walls are closing in. And it also seems like there's a lot of walls, right? You know, there's there's the Alvin Bragg wall, there's the Fonnie Willis wall, there is that Jack is responsible. I call him Jack because you know, Allison has a podcast called Jack. That you know, he's got two walls that are closing in, one which made some progress this week regarding the uh uh, confidential documents. The other one, of course, being January sixth, um, which by the time he gets to it, we may have forgotten what that means. But but by January sixth, and um, uh, there's also a civil case with Letitia James in New York after the Trump. There's another civil case uh, also with the uh, E. Jean Carroll, which you know is a is a is a Trump case. All of these have made some progress in the. In the past week, so let's just talk about the pace of each of these walls serially, starting with Brag Dahlia. We understand nothing's going to happen on that until next week at the earliest. What do you make of what's happened this week?
3: Well, again, I think if you strip away the stuff that Donald Trump has told us, all we can do is infer that they're getting awfully close, right? We know who has now spoken to the grand jury. We know who's testified. We know that Trump was offered an opportunity, which generally means you're in the sort of countdown phase of the launch. As I said, there were rumors that there would be, you know, something happening Wednesday, Thursday, it appears not. I think we're close. And the question is, you know, as we said at the beginning, we don't quite know. We know that there is an underlying, seemingly an underlying falsification of records charge here. And there's a bunch of things that can be bootstrapped to that, you know, election and other other crimes. But we don't know. And so I think what we are waiting to see is what does the grand jury come back with? And maybe I would say just You know, as we move on to Fannie Willis and Jack Smith and everything else, maybe one piece of important context, and again, Allison is going to be smarter on this than me, but it's, you know, the clock is ticking here, right? There's a huge doomsday clock because these things have to play out before election season. And so we're describing both a foot race between, you know, who goes first and who goes second and where things are and does Fannie Willis get stripped of her power before You know, she can bring an indictment. All of that is happening against this larger backdrop of Donald Trump's superpowers running out the clock. And we've got a huge clock that is going to obviate the ability for some of these forms of accountability to come true unless things happen fast.
2: It's true. And when you're nearly 80 years old and fat, you know, his clock may run out (laughs) real fast and then we won't get to any of this. So look, he's a... He is, you know, I keep looking at him and he's, I think this has got to be in his mind to some level, which is, well, if I get, keep this going another five years, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, got. you know, he's not, he's not going to live forever. Allison, regarding the, the New York brag case this week, there was the appearance before the grand jury of this uh, non-Trump lawyer, Trump lawyer who's actually a Giuliani lawyer, which means he's a Trump lawyer, named, uh, was it, Costello, I think was his name, and uh, was a very prominent name in New York legal circles, though not among lawyers. But uh, in any event, he you know made some defenses, and we only know this because he came out on the sidewalk afterwards and said what his defenses were. But I listened to his defenses, and they were all about things like it's legal to use hush money and blah, blah, blah. But none of them were defenses against what actually happened. The crime that's, invo- that's alleged here, at least the, the one that we're allegedly thinking about, which is a form of fr- a fraud in business reporting. Did you listen to him and come away thinking, oh, he may have struck a blow or no?
0: No, I come away thinking from a prosecutor's standpoint, thank you for telling us your defense in advance. And I'm not a prosecutor, but if I were. Because, you know, I think it was a huge mistake for that purpose. He came out saying that their defense, first of all, Joey Tacos, which I is my nickname for Joey Tacopino, told Ari Melber that their defense was that, you know, that, uh, well, he would have done this whether there was a election or not. He, he, he covers these things. He catches and kills stories all the time. He's a famous person. This is just, he, there's all these settlements that are out there, which was like, oh, which ones, which other ones do you have besides Cara McDougall? But what Costello was alleging was that Cohen went rogue and did this all on his own without Donald Trump's knowledge, that he just actually went out and took out a HELOC, took a second mortgage out on his home to help out Donald Trump without Donald Trump's knowledge. But we have audio showing that that's not true. And I think one of the biggest things that he was there to do was to try to undermine and impeach. Michael Cohen is a witness, but even if you are a juror and you don't believe the Cohen testimony, you have to believe the documents. Let's, let's ask Manafort how that went for him when they tried to impeach, and I think they did successfully, Rick Gates when he testified against Manafort. Even the, the MAGA person on the juror was like, look, I love Donald Trump, but I saw the documents and I have to follow the law, and they convicted on 11 out of those 18 counts ended up with a four to seven year prison sentence. Now, of course, it was pardoned. There's nothing we can do about that, which is why it's not just up to prosecutors to save democracy. The voters have to keep voting, uh, <laughs> you know, for for good people that won't come in and pardon everybody and fire all the prosecutors. But I, I think that that was a huge tactical error on the part of Trump world to send in Costello and reveal what the, one of their defenses is going to be, which was that Co- Cohen did this somehow by himself and without... The knowledge of Trump. And, and so you know now there's speculation about who these other witnesses are going to be that they want to bring in and what they might know about what Trump knew. So we'll find out, I, I imagine, eventually, unless Bragg decides he doesn't have enough to prosecute, because Bragg does not owe us a declination decision like Jack would. So we might never know if there aren't any prosecutions, why the evidence didn't meet the standards for him to go forward with a case.
2: Yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen Jimmy Kimmel's breakdown with regard to Joey Tacos, in which he sort of intersperses his views now with his views several years in the past, which were just antithetical to his views now, definitely treat yourself to that. Well, let's move on to a different wall here, Dahlia, and the one that I'd like to move on to is the one that seems to have moved the most materially this week of course we're guessing at all of this but that has to do with the classified documents case and the decision that was made in a court that Trump's lawyer has to testify Friday of this week I believe in that case because the fraud crime provision in the law which pierces attorney client privilege pertained in this case which means that there was some finding or some kind of a demonstration by the prosecutor that some kind of a crime had occurred here. What do you make of that?
3: Such an interesting through line to what Allison was just talking about. I, I can't help but notice that both this Ev- Evan Corcoran testimony story in the Mar-a-Lago, right? Here's the lawyer who either knowingly or unknowingly apparently allegedly helped Donald Trump commit a crime, Right. And it's such an interesting through line to Michael Cohen because it 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 goes to this weird problem Donald Trump has with his lawyers where normal attorney-client relationships don't go down this way. And Donald Trump, because all of his lawyers or so many of his lawyers have these complicated half-in, half-out relationships with him, he's now at the moment where he's either throwing them under the bus or they're throwing him under the bus. And I think it just, Bespeaks this decades long, right? This is again classic playbook: is get your lawyers to do hinky stuff, and then kind of find a way to say, "Oh, but he's my attorney." And I think both these cases sort of are are, are emblematic of that pattern. But here, you just have, you know, a- as you just said, there is a c- crime fraud a- exception to attorney client privilege. If your attorney is helping you commit a crime, it's not privileged. And you know, this went to. Judge Beryl Howell in D.C., and the quickest turnaround, I, I think, in history, uh, just having absolutely freaking not. We want to see the notes. We want to see the contemporaneous notes from your attorney. And if there are recordings, we're going to hear them. And so I just think this larger, if we're going to s- sort of try to see patterns, I think there's something really interesting about the way Donald Trump has weaponized his attorneys to be half bagman, half counsel is kind of part of the walls closing in here.
2: What do you think, Allison? I, I would just say my reaction to what Dalia said, which was deeply insightful as usual, is that I think we'll see this in all of these cases. I think that in the Fannie Willis case, I think in the January 6th case, there are examples of lawyers being used as tools by Trump.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, there, I think... Uh, Empty Wheel is keeping track now. 27 lawyers are are witnesses or defendants (laughs) or, you know, some sort of trouble in the Trump cases. But and, you know, I want to just sort of point out no one has brought indictments against Donald Trump. The person who is poised to do it first, and we don't know that that will happen, is a Manhattan district attorney. And that's about a crime that happened seven years ago. And so it's not about January 6th. It's not about things that are more in our recent history. But you could might have seen I was writing. I was jotting something down while you were talking there. And I just did a little quick crash course timeline on what's going on in the documents case because a lot of people seem to think it got pushed forward all of a sudden right now. But I just want to remind everybody that last May, the subpoena went out for classified documents. In June, June third, they had that meeting. june twenty fourth, some weird phone call with Evan Corcoran and Trump. July, they got the surveillance video showing Walt Nauta moving some boxes. August, they used that information to go in and execute a search warrant. September through November, we were dealing with an extremely fast case, throwing out Eileen Cannon's special master BS. Then in November, Jack Smith is appointed. In December, he sends out over two dozen subpoenas to people in the, just the documents case alone. In January, Corcoran testifies for the first time and invokes attorney-client privilege. In February. He files to pierce that with the crime fraud exception, and here we are in March, and he's going to testify tomorrow, Friday. That is actually exceptionally fast, and I feel like the wall has been moving, that particular wall has been moving at the same pace since all the way back in, in May. So it, it is a little frustrating when uh, I see a lot of the pundits say, oh, all of a sudden they've woken up and started doing stuff, when this stuff has been... We, we've gotten hints about what's been going on with that since last May. Now, I, I can't stand up and stick up for why we waited until January of 2022 to put Wyndham in charge of the January 6th stuff and then bring in Jack Smith in November. But here we are. And I think that what we saw this week with what Dahlia was explaining with that extremely rocket docket style by midnight and then 6 a.m. the next morning, I think a lot of that had to do with there was a Wednesday deadline put on by Judge Howell for for him to turn over his written, handwritten notes, transcripts of audio calls or audio uh, of what we don't know, invoices. What's that about? And we're all getting this. This is all supposed to be under seal. We're all getting this, presumably, from Trump world and Trump lawyers because they like to talk and get out ahead of stuff and spin things before they happen. Like when uh, Don Jr. turned over his emails about the January or the June Trump Tower meeting before anybody else because he wanted to get out ahead of it. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of put that little timeline together to just sort of remind everything how fast this particular documents case has been going.
2: Yeah, slow down, Speedy Gonzalez, Merrick Garland. Oh my God, we need to sit down and uh, grab our breath here. I'm just kidding. I just. I know. Allison Allison and I've. Allison and I've talked about this a lot, and every single time she has turned out to be right, and I've turned out to be wrong, which is why she's here doing the talking, and I'm just saying, hey, we're going to take a break at this point and uh, say goodbye to all our uh, listeners and the general public, and continue on with our members, which probably makes you want to be a member because we got a couple of more of the walls that are closing in to talk about. Which we'll talk about right after this break. So go become a member at the dsrnetwork.com. And, uh, you know, then you can listen to the whole thing. For now, if you're in the general public, bye bye. And if you're a member, stand by.